Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Pastor, I saw a lot of you, Pastor Ken, on, on the Freedom Session that I did last year. And, and I still love you. And I still love you. Would you give him a Venue Church welcome this morning? All right, come on. All right, so he still loves me, but, but he, his green room presence isn't so great because in the green room just a few minutes ago, uh, he asked, well, have they put makeup on you yet? And, and they already had, and so he obviously thought I need a little bit more. So Here's the thing about Diet Coke. It tastes great. makes me feel good. Life is short. If you want to live in a yurt, which is a Mongolian tent, you should yurt it up. If you want to run a marathon, sounds really hard, but okay. Just do you, whatever that is. And if you feel like having a Diet Coke, you should have a Diet Coke. That was a commercial that ran a little while ago. Uh, Diet, Coke, Diet Coke was actually one of their most, most successful campaigns because what they did is they married authenticity to their brand. I don't even like Diet Coke, and I felt like going out and buying one just, just for the thrill of just, just being me, just doing me, whatever that is. And it's really brilliant because authenticity is the currency of marketing right now. But if I'm really honest, I don't just want to be me. I want to be the very best version of me. And frankly, my wife doesn't just want me to be me either. She wants me to be my best version of me because, you know, you can be you. You can be authentic and still be a jerk. So it's not just about being me, and, and, and I, I actually want, because I, I know Jesus Christ personally, I want to actually be God's best version of me. I want to find out and discover and, and govern my life according to, to be that person that God had envisioned when he decided to, to create me and have me in this world. And if that's, I want to be true to that vision, and if that's going to happen, then I need to develop a deeper level of authenticity than we're often accustomed to, and so do you. And actually, we're going to need each other for that. You, you know, you cannot, you cannot be authentic alone. We actually need people because we can't even tell when we're being authentic. Because, you, you know, you can lie to yourself. Um, if you're going to lie to someone else, you have to lie to yourself first. If you're going to be untrue to your wife or your husband, you've got to first lie to yourself. You have to tell yourself stories to make that behavior feel okay in your own eyes. So one of the beautiful things, I mean, this morning is epic for you. This is, this is a, a trajectory-changing morning for your church because you're moving from the evening to the morning, but there's more than that. You're, you're poised. If, if you remain faithful, if you remain faithful to Jesus, faithful to your key relationships and faithful to God and to faithful to your calling as a church, you're probably poised for exponential growth because authenticity, which is probably, if, as I looked at your website, as I've hung around here for one hour, authenticity is part of your brand and there's a generation crying out for authenticity because with social media we, we, you, you know in social media you can put your, your pics you can put your videos you can put your quotes you can put anything on your social media and that actually ups the, the thirst for, for authenticity because people are wondering is this really the person and if you do if you do dating from websites what you're longing for is the person's profile whom I'm sitting across this table from here authenticity is, is thirst we're thirsting for authenticity and if that, if that catches your heart, I invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 4. 
We're going to look back at that. And we're going to look back. And the reason why I'm going to go back there, because we, we think of authenticity as, as old or real or genuine. Do you know that you can buy brand new road-used or road-worn guitars from Fender to make you look like you were in a band for a number of years? Why is that? Because, you know, we think that authenticity means going back in time. So we're going to go to the most authentic relationships, theoretically, the very first relationships. While I'm on that, one of my pet peeves is, so, so I'm part of a church, and, I, and um, 50% of our church is under age 35. Well, I'm a couple of years older than 35. And they all wear ripped jeans, right? Did you know that ripped jeans is not logical? I mean, you're, thinking, you're actually, you're paying more for somebody to intentionally rip your clothes and they will wear out faster. It's not, it's not logical. It doesn't mean, why is it you want to feel like you're authentic? This is the real me, I could wear ripped jeans. Well, you're paying someone to do that. It feels immoral to me. <laughs> but I actually do have one pair of ripped jeans and whenever I get asked to speak at the collective, which is our young adults ministry, then I put my ripped jeans on. <laughs> Just so that I'm cool, right? All right, no, I don't have to be cool. You know, um, um, we really thirst authenticity. Um, people, we know that we can buy digital, right? You, you know that you can buy a CD that could be of a symphony, for example, or a band, and it can all be produced electronically. Why, that's why you spend $500 to go to an Eagles concert per ticket. You, you can buy the album. You can download it, right? You, but but you, you better not get lip sync for $500. Bucks. You, you expect authenticity. You desire it. You need it. And that's what we need in our relationships. But you know what's really sad? Marketing gurus have already said there actually is no, thing of, no such thing as authenticity. What you need to do is appear to be authentic to get people to buy your product. Harrison Hool is an up, uppity um, coffee shop, independent coffee shop in North London, England, not Ontario. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and people were going there and they would pay, charge more for their coffee. And people were glad to pay it because it was, it was a homegrown kind of thing. It was very authentic. And, and then they found out, then the patrons of, of Harrison Hool found out that it was actually owned by Tresco, Tesco, which is a like, superstore in Canada. And they felt betrayed, offended. And they also, they owned 50%, this Harrison Hool, this uppity local kind of coffee shop. And they were actually trained by Tresco or Tesco, I don't even know which, which is the word now. They were actually trained by the management to go buy authentic artifacts from that area so that you look authentic. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we can actually do in a church. The, the real risk here is for Venue Church to actually, as we launch into this, wanting to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who don't know him personally. And, and I hope I hope 25% of you don't know Jesus personally, kind of in a way. I hope that, because I always open a church, we've got a pile of people just checking out Christianity. In fact, you should check it out, and you should be watching us this fall to see if we're really authentic. Are we the real deal, or do we just want to appear authentic? Are we really friendly, or do we just want to appear friendly? You should be checking us out and helping us see where we're not quite meeting it but here's the deal if you don't know Jesus how authentic are you either you see sometimes we expect Christians Christians yes we're trying to be authentic but we're going to do it wrong we're, we're fleshly people we got families we got relationships we got stuff in our life we actually need each other whether you're a Christian or not to make this place authentic so good on you and welcome here but if, you're, if you are a Christian, realize the world is watching you and actually expecting you to function at a deeper level of authenticity than they are. So it's kind of a cool place to be. Then there's the thirst for personal authenticity, and that's the drive to be honest and genuine with ourselves, living out of our inner selves and our deepest values. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 4, where theoretically we should have the most authentic family that ever existed. Genesis chapter 4. 
Now, Adam knew his wife Eve. That means he had sex with her. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So Adam obviously was not in the delivery room. He was out fishing. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, which means the best portions. And the Lord God had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Do you notice that Cain never took the time to answer the question that God asked him? Why are you so angry? And whenever God asks a question in the Bible, it's not so that he has information. He kind of knows anyway. Whenever God asks a question of, of you, it is to give you an opportunity to discover something about yourself or him that you wouldn't otherwise discover. The question to Cain was, why are you so angry? How about you? Why are you so angry at your wife? Why are you so angry at your husband? Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry at your boss? Why are you so angry at God? Because if we don't answer that question, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do exactly what Cain did. Look for someone else and take out your anger on them and kill them. You're going to kill the spirit of your children. You're going to kill the spirit of your wife. You're going to kill the spirit of your husband. You're going to kill the spirit of your boss. You're going to kill your own spirit. Because you're not willing to deal with what's going on in your heart. And that's what God wants to uncover for you because he wants to heal it. God never reveals something he's not willing to heal. By the way, Cain wasn't actually angry. He was and he wasn't. Anger is al almost always a secondary emotion. Anger is almost always a secondary emotion. It's a cover-up emotion generally to fear or rejection. Cain wasn't feeling angry. In fact, if you're, if you're having a fight or an argument right now with your spouse or a family member or a boss, whatever, you're probably feeling either afraid or rejected. You're feeling put down by them or you're feeling afraid that things aren't going to work out or that she's never going to respect you or he's never going to take care of you in the way you want. And so that is too painful to feel. Do you believe, believe it or not? Anger is more enjoyable to feel than rejection or fear. It's not enjoyable. It's more enjoyable. And God has wired each of our brains to always seek comfort. He does. That's why you're tired, you go to bed. You're hungry, you eat. Right? We always seek comfort, and anger is more pleasurable than fear of rejection. What was Cain really feeling? He was rejected by God. He felt rejected by God. He brings an offering. His brother brings an offering. His brother brings the best of his offering, and he brings a, a, an offering, and it wasn't probably the best. Plus, it wasn't exactly the way God wanted the offering, and God didn't accept his offering. He felt rejected. God, what's wrong? Why, why do you love him more? That's how he felt. And if he had brought that emotion to God, God would have talked him through that, and he wouldn't have had to kill his brother Abel. Plus, he would have felt accepted by God. You know, a lot of times we feel rejected by God because we've sinned or we've messed up, and then we feel like we've got to be good for three days before we can talk to God. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. 
you know what that is? It's the doctrine of penance. It's a doctrine of hell. It's not true. I mean, if I loved you enough to sacrifice my own son for your sins, which I don't, by the way, but if I loved you enough to do that, and then you sinned, if I sacrificed my son for that sin, what could you possibly do in three days to impress me? Nothing. That's why we got good news, guys. Every sin, every mistake, every failure you've ever created, ever done, it's already been paid for. It's just not applied to your account because you haven't owned up to it. You haven't confessed it to God. You haven't brought it out. You haven't been willing to face it. That's all he needs. It's only once. Give him a chance to deal with it. In Freedom Session, which is, is, a, is a program, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey, actually, that we've developed to help deal with life. It's actually community. It's a community group uh, to do community in and to work through some of the stuff we generally don't take time to work on, right? Just stress, stress in our lives and relationships and pain and things like that. In Freedom Session, one of the tools we use, and I want you to try it right now, I want you to think about the, the last time you were angry. The last time you were angry. It's probably within the last 24 hours, the last week for sure. Think about the last time you were angry. And it'll lead you through three little exercises. Start off with, I am angry that. And finish the sentence to God. What exactly, specifically, what specifically are you angry at? What happened? What did, they, did someone do? Think, tell God right now. Go ahead. Tell them. You don't have to do it out loud. Now, I'm angry that. I feel I'm afraid that. In that situation, what is the fear? The fear you won't be understood. Fear that it'll never change. Fear that you're going to fail. Fear you're going to be exposed. What is it? Tell God what it is. Tell yourself. Be honest with yourself. Now, the third one I feel rejected by. In that situation, who are you feeling rejected by? God, yourself, your mom and dad, your boss, the world, your pastor. You just learned how to be authentic in your anger. Cain, why are you so angry? Because I'm afraid, God. I'm afraid I'll never be good enough for you. Oh, we can deal with that, Cain. Let's deal with that. This is how you got, this is, you are good enough for me. I sent my son for you. Let's just, I'm going to send my son for you. Let's just figure out how to fix this. Yeah. I feel rejected. I can handle that. Okay, let's think why, why you're rejected. Now, the point here is, next time you're angry in a relationship, if you want to be mature, you want to be authentic, before you duke it out with your wife or your husband, your boss, your kids, whatever, I'm not talking physically, before you go into the battle, go to your room, I'm angry that, and write it down. Write it. If you're taking freedom session, do your homework when you're angry. You're more honest. You know you're more honest when you're angry than any other time. Really. You can go through pages and rip them, but we sell more books that way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bad joke. Inside voice. Okay, what I mean is, no, I'm serious. Next time you're about to argue when you're angry, go write down what specifically you're angry at. Then, I'm angry that, I'm afraid that. Write down, write down what you're afraid at before you duke it out with the person you're mad at. Then write down, what are you, how are you feeling rejected? And write, be honest. Be honest. And then walk into the room, the kitchen, the office, wherever it is, and share that, not how they made you angry. By the way, no one can ever make you angry. No one can make you angry. Anger is a choice. Now, you might not feel that, you might not believe that, but psychologically and theologically, it is true. And practically, it's true. 
No one can make you angry. You choose to become angry because you're not willing to deal with your fear or your resentments, your bitterness, etc. And anger is a cover-up emotion. Another thing to know, especially men, we need to get this. Women, you can listen too, but uh, <laughs> fear and anger biologically feel identical. Fear and anger feel identical. And what happens when you're afraid or when you're angry, your adrenal hormone releases adrenaline in your bloodstream and it takes blood from your mind and your stomach to your muscles. That's why when you're angry, you feel like fighting. You feel you're poised, you're tense. That's exa- it's biologically happening and you think you're angry, but you're actually afraid. Fear feels the same. And God actually did that because if a bear, a grizzly bear shows up, you should feel afraid and you're going to need uh, blood in your muscles, not your brain, because you don't have to talk and think about that. You need to run. That's exactly what happens when you're angry. That's why you get a stomachache. That's why you don't think clearly. That's why you say things that you shouldn't say and you're going to regret saying when you're angry. So leverage your anger and ask those two questions. And I mean it. That in itself will change your, the trajectory of your life. And you just saved $3,000 of marriage counseling and $10,000 for divorce, law, divorce lawyers. And you can send the check to 8792. Just kidding. No, I'm serious. It's, it's huge. Anger is one of Satan's favorite ways to mess us up, and it's not even a real emotion. So point one is first authenticity lesson is let's be honest with our emotions. Authenticity requires that we become honest with our emotions, admit them to God, admit them to ourselves, and admit them to others. I did a men's retreat a while ago for Village Church, and uh, so I asked a number of women, you know, what you would most want men to hear, what you would most want men to know from you. And I pulled uh, a number of women at Village Church there. And uh, one of the things was brilliant from a single gal, very qualified gal, good education, smart girl, talented. And um, she said, tell them to own their emotions because we know that they have them. And when a man doesn't own up to his emotions, they're not safe. That's how women feel. And guy, by the way, guys, we do have emotions. It's the same root word as motive. Why does a man work so hard? It's emotions. You've got a motive. Now you've got to figure out what it is. Either fear of failure. That's, that's, what I, that's why I used to work so hard for years. I've organized my life to escape failure because I felt like a failure. And one of, I, I, I used success to do you know, just hard work. That worked for me. I have a good short-term memory. That's why I did well in school. And so I did that. And I've got a few other skills and I just leveraged them and I go kamikaze, work, work my you know, fingers to the bone. Doesn't matter if, my, if I abandon my wife, abandon my children, even my values. I just cannot handle failure. So I'm going to prove that I'm not a failure. And I'm proving it to who? Yeah. No one's even thinking about me. You know, for those of you who worry what other people are thinking of you, stop. They're thinking of themselves anyway. <laughs> I mean, we've got to get that. And so, so many of our lives, you know, I've built my life trying to prove to, to God, mom and dad, my grade two teacher and my coach that cut me from the hockey team at age 15, that I was a success. And they're not even thinking about me. It's so, it's such a trap. And this is again, we just have to be honest with our emotions. Why does a man risk his entire career, risk 50% of the kingdom that he's built financially to trade in his wife for the 20-year-old secretary that he pays to like him? Emotions, fear, rejection. It's not intelligence. You're going to get 50 cents on the dollar. It's emotions. 
And frankly, she's not going to love you in 10 years. So we got to learn to deal with our emotions, number one. Number two, Genesis 4, we'll pick it up again, back to verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lied. And the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its, to you its strength. You should be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. This is so graceful. Cain just murdered his brother. He denied it. He lied to the Lord. And he was afraid that he would be driven from God's presence. I don't know what you've done that you think is unforgivable, but you're wrong. You're wrong. That's why Jesus died, because you can never pay it back. Cain thought he was banished from the Lord's presence. He was wrong. The Lord says, not so. Not so. People are not going to kill you. And in his grace... You'll see, um, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And in grace, God, the Lord God put a mark on Cain so that no one would kill him. And, and people debate what the mark was. I have no idea. It could have been a pimple. It could have been a different color. We don't know. But it was a mark of grace for the Lord. The Lord put on him so that no one would kill him. Why did God not want to kill him? Because he loved him. He wanted Cain to come around. There's nothing you've done. And yes, there's some consequences. Some of the mistakes you made have consequences. But there's always forgiveness. There's always hope. Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. And then, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scripture, it feels like I'm watching a movie and someone fast-forwarded a few scenes. There's gaps in this story. And I think one of the gaps is at the end of verse 17, and I think that if Scripture continued to be read, written at that point, we would read something like this. And later that day, when Adam was walking alone in the field, came upon the dead body of his son Abel. He wept. And when he realized he lost two sons that day, he wept even more. The other gap... I think is in the middle of verse 2. It says that Eve bore Cain and Abel, and Abel worked the flocks and Cain worked the soil. Have you ever seen a baby boy work the flocks or keep the soil, the soil work, or take care of animals? No. There were 15 years of missing gaps there. These boys weren't enemies. They were chums. They were soul pals. There were birthday parties. There were celebrations like Abel's first backflip off the local waterfall and Cain's first giraffe ride. <laughs> first night, the boys could go off on their own. There was those ir ir unerasable memories in Eve's mind, like the night that they checked in on the boys asleep in the treehouse, sleeping under the same blanket on the same pillow because Abel broke the other pillow in the pillow fight they weren't supposed to have. They were friends. And then there were those other memories, those painful memories, those altar, altars, family altars, not like you and I might have where mom or dad reads the Bible and prays, but literal altars where Adam and Eve had to choke back the tears when Adam explained why they had to kill the little 
sheep that they've been taking care of. It's because mom and I sinned, boys. Both Adam and Eve knew they were forgiven in the garden. There's always another chance, but there was consequences, and there's consequences when we make mistakes that affect people we love. So they had to explain that, but they owned up to it. They lived with forgiveness, but there was regret. My point in all of this is that a day before Adam found the dead body of his son Abel, he, like you and I, would never have considered his family broken. Oh, there was problems. Yeah, a couple stress points, but, no, but nothing that would ever turn into this. And I'd suggest to you that, that when our families and relationships and our churches and our businesses become broken, when it finally becomes evident, it usually comes as a complete shock to those involved. And it also comes with a lot of regret. And, and a lot of times we would do anything to rewrite the tapes. Adam would have done anything to rewrite the tapes. I think he would have checked, he'd have taken his boys out for breakfast more often, and he, he, he noticed that Cain's face was downcast. He just didn't ask. He said, Cain, why is your face downcast? What's going on? I think he would have prayed more for his boys and with his boys. I think he would have maybe challenged Abel on his air of superiority when his sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Maybe he would have said, Abel, give your brother a good deal. Trade some of your livestock for his grain so that he can have an acceptable offering before the Lord. He didn't. He noticed, but he just didn't say anything. And here's the deal for you. As sad as this is, in two or three years, some of your marriages are going to feel like they're over. Or your kids are going to walk out on you, walk out in AWOL and walk away from God and walk out on you. And you're going to do anything. You, you would do anything to come back to this day and rewrite the next few years. But you're going to feel like it's too late. It's not too late, but it's way better to start dealing with these things now. And maybe you, maybe you, maybe you think your family isn't broken. Maybe you think your, your marriage isn't broken. Maybe you think your church isn't broken. Fine. Then just change the question to, is my family broken to? God, where is there brokenness in my family? Where is there brokenness in my relationships? Where is there brokenness in our church? What is the chance that there is no brokenness in my relationship with my wife? None. We were both broken people. Yes, we love Jesus. Yes, we're growing. Yes, we're learning. Yes, we're getting authentic. But there's still brokenness. So we're going to have some brokenness in our marriage. Is it? You know, what's the chance that we're going to raise three children and not have any brokenness that they inherited from us, plus some brokenness that they came up with all up by themselves? So wouldn't it be just a big relief if we just cut the crap and just pull down the veil a little bit and say, you know what? There's hurts in my life. There's hurts in our relationship, but we're going to deal with it together. And we're going to do it messy sometimes. We're going, to, we're going to stay in it together. And we're going to do this church thing together. And there's going to be some brokenness in our worship teams and our kids' teams. But you know what? We're going to work it out. We're going to find a way. Just What a relief. I don't have to be perfect. And isn't one of our friends who don't know Jesus personally, isn't one of their biggest critiques against us that we're fake? And isn't it kind of true sometimes? Don't we kind of... You know, especially that bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven as we drive by at 130 kilometers an hour. It, it, that's annoying. You know, bumper stickers, I, that's not to do with my message, but the bumper sticker I really hate is when someone has on their bumper sticker, my son or daughter is an honor roll student at whatever high school. And I feel like getting the bumper sticker and putting it on right beside there says, yeah, your son might be smart, but you're still an idiot. <laughs> but, but I can't do that because I'm a pastor. And it's... it's So that's number two. The third thing we got to do 
And by the way, by, um, every one of us is going to have a different takeaway from the message. Some of you, that's a takeaway, is actually to go away this afternoon and ask God, Lord, where's there brokenness in my life? Where's there brokenness in my relationships? Where's the brokenness in my, in my family? And, and how do you actually know when a family is broken and one's not? Like, what, what is it? Is it divorce? Is it sexual abuse that renders a family broken? Is it s- secrets, a pornography addiction, an online chat room, pride, yelling, no one eating together anymore, ships passing in the night, financial ruin, secrets? How do you know when a family's broken? Just forget that question. Just find out where it's broken and ask God to show you the path. And for, for some of you, Freedom Session is the journey. For some of you, counseling is the journey. Some of you is just talking, talk, having a conversation with your spouse, just being honest, which leads me to the next point. How do you actually do this? Authenticity lesson number three is accept the brokenness, uh, take responsibility for the brokenness that I contribute. You know, you can't see them because the lights are low, but, but we gave every one of you, it's a defects of character card, and uh, th- I'm going to give you some homework. On here, I think it's 27 different character defects. It's kind of depressing. It's, it's kind of your negative things, right? But uh, it's the character defects. And, and what, what I want you to do is go through them and check off the three that you think are, are the most active in your life. There's like selfishness, blaming, self-justification, pride, false humility, impulsiveness. And you just check off. And don't check them all off. I want you to actually have a spine and only pick three. Push yourself to decide, which are the three that I think are most active in my life? And the reason why we gave all of them, you know, we, we, didn't, we wanted to have everyone have one of these, not just you as a couple. The reason why we did that is because usually women are very open to looking at their defects of character, and their husbands are also very open to their wives looking at their own defects of character. So we want you all to have one. <laughs> I've been married for 35 or 6 years, so I, I got this. And then I am dead serious about this because you want to know and this puts it on paper and this is a step of authenticity. Nothing, you know, if we think songs and a sermon is going to change the world, it's not. It's when you apply the word of God, it's when you apply the sermon. So take this home and check it off. Men and men, you lead here. You check off first. And then you can do one of two things. You can get together and I've done, I've done this with my family and I've done this with staffs. And then you get together and you say, this is the brokenness that I think, these are the the three defects of character that I think that I bring to this family and how I think it probably affects some of you. My pride, my impulsiveness, my self-righteousness, and this is where I think it affects, and I want you to know I'm sorry, and I want you to know that I'm going to pick one of these areas and work on it for the next three months. Don't pick them all because you're probably going to fail. Pick one. If you want the graduated version of this, before you have that conversation, identify what you think of your defects of character, then get three additional cards like that. And I'm dead serious. I've done this as well. I do this with all the staff that I have. Pass them out to the staff or your family and, and ask them this question. Here's 27 defects of character. If I was only going to work on one of these areas, one or two of these areas in the next year, which would be the areas which would be most meaningful for you that I work on? And, wh- and if they have the courage to give you back that and checked off too, and don't, don't, if you're having an argument with someone, it's not a good time. <laughs> but ask them to only check off two that you would consider working on. And when they give it back to you, do not argue them. Say thank you, because it took a lot of courage for them to do that. Yeah. And here's a hint. If you pass this out to three people and they all think your impulsiveness is your defective character and you think your people-pleasing is, 
Work on the impulsiveness. Because you're probably wrong. This is probably the one that's messing up their lives. And here's another thing. For those of you that have businesses, and I'm dead serious on this too, pass this out to your employees, especially at the coffee shop. Say, listen, I went to church the other day, which might shock them, but it's probably a good shock. And this crazy guy from the West Coast said I might have one or two of these defects of character, which we all know is probably not true. But just in case he's right, I'm going to pass these out, and there'll be no repercussions, but I want you to then really... As your boss, I want, you, I want you to know if I was only going to work on one of these areas this next year, which would be the most meaningful that I work on? And when they pass them back, say thank you. And then what you do, and then, then you've got to work on them, obviously. But here's what you do. You, take that, you, you pick the one out of all that. You pick only one character defect that you're going to work on for three months. And then you ask God to show you the exact opposite character or spirit that you should begin walking in. For example, why am I saying that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had a couple of job descriptions when he came to earth to show us who God the Father really was, to pay the price for our sins, and defeat the power of Satan. How did he defeat the power of Satan? What was Satan's biggest sin? Pride. So how did Jesus defeat pride? With humility. The way to defeat a character defect or an evil spirit is to operate in the exact opposite spirit of that. So, as your pastor has discerned, and there might be more, but one of the things your pastor has discerned, three spirits that we are, and I'm even talking demonic spirits plus attitudes that are prevalent in your city are pride, lust, and greed. And there may be more, but these are three that your pastor and his wife and perhaps the lead team have discerned. These are some things that, we've, that are just in our city. We're born in this city, so we got to confront this. So how are you going to defeat pride? Humility. How are you going to defeat lust? You don't defeat lust by trying not to lust. That don't work. And plus, there's no man that's going to give up a, give, you know, give a whole pile of effort to not look at pornography. That is not a big enough goal. The goal is to become a protector of men and women, a protector of our girls, a protector of our families. And men, here's another thing. You want to lead in your homes? Then lead in purity. Men, you are the ones that have to flick the channel when the commercials get steamy. Men, every time my wife flicks the channel, I have surrendered my leadership and my God-given calling to protect my home from impurity. If my wife flicks the channel, then she's been offended by that, and I let her be offended. So men, if you want to lead, let's start by leading here. And guys, if you're dating, if you're dating a girl, then you lead by keeping your purity. Some of you guys want to lead once you're married, but you don't want to lead while you're dating. And where you don't lead is in the purity. And if she says no, you've surrendered your leadership. And then when you get married, you're going to be ticked off because she's not responding to your leadership. That's because you've never led. And the way you lead in purity if you're dating, here it is. When you pick her up, say, just so you know, at the end, if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, you can try this. It'll work. At the end of tonight, I'm going to pray with you. Because it's going to be a lot harder to get your hands in her pants when you're going to be grabbing her hand and praying with her and bringing before God the Father. Right there, you've just crossed the line for purity. And she will respect you. And gals, if you're going out with a guy, and if you're a Christian, then if he doesn't lead that way, say, listen, before we go out tonight, I want your assurance and promise that at the end of the night, you're going to take my hand and pray with me. And if he's not willing to, then either lead him to a personal relationship with Jesus or teach him how to pray. Because that is, that's how you're going to defeat lust. You're not going to defeat lust by trying not to lust, by being pure. How are you going to defeat greed? By being generous. And I don't know what God's given you, 
God's, God's given you a boat. He's given you a car. He's given you, we're in the red zones. <laughs> that means I'm done. All right. So that's your homework. <laughs> so let me just wind it down. And I want to share with you my favorite verse of scripture. It's Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. And says that Eve and Adam slept together again, and she conceived and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has given me a son. In replacement, or not replacement, in addition to Cain and Abel. If there ever was a family that could have called it quits, wouldn't it have been Adam and Eve? What would be more painful than having one of your children kill the other child and then be abandoned, or then be in another country? I can't imagine anything. If you've lost a child, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine anything more painful except losing two children. But they didn't give up, and neither did God. God gave them another child and gave them another chance. So here's the last point. Never let your mistakes from your past take you to God's plan for your future. So at the end of this service, I'm going to turn it over to your pastor and the team here. But at the end of this service, I'll be up at the front praying. For those of you who want to pray, I'm assuming some of your prayer team or leaders or whatever be around to pray as well. And if there's something specific that's been haunting you and you want someone to join you in prayer, we're willing to pray with you. But it's not just about Sunday morning. You've got community groups or life groups. I'm not sure what you call them. There's people in this church that we're willing to walk with you. There's freedom session. There's your pastors. Don't let the mistakes in your past take you out of God's plan for your future. That's Satan's trajectory for your life. It's not God's. There's always a plan A from whatever point you come back to Jesus. And if you're already following Jesus, then bring him that area of your life that you feel like you just don't want to face or he can't handle or you can't handle. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that in your wisdom, you left stories like this in your holy word. Authentic stories, not sugar-coated, but real life, real people. And I thank you for your love and your grace through which you spoke to our hearts this morning. So I'm asking you for the courage to take the next step and ask you now how you want us to respond. Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do about what you said to me this morning? Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.